Cool, man. Welcome to the Logos Untypical podcast. I am your host, Logos Untypical, Chance Lunsford. I talk like this normally, trust me, believe me. I'm here with my special guest. <laughs> I'm here with my special guest. I don't know what name you want me to use. Are we allowed to use last names here or what are we doing? Uh, yeah, yeah, Ryan did. I don't care. I'm not anonymous okay. or anything like that. You just turn so, off your camera? Uh, no, I didn't. Thing? No, I was trying to figure out. I was trying to figure out if I was on my Wi-Fi or what was going on. It was, all right. All <laughs> Here's my, <laughs> Nathan Dean, Chronicles of Nate. What up, dude? Why don't you introduce yourself? What's up, bro? So, uh, yeah, I, Nathan Dean, I live uh, over here in southeast Texas. And I'm going to do my best to make sure that you do not hear my accent throughout this podcast. <laughs> Come on, bro. It's all right. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, no, uh, yeah, I live in Southeast Texas. Um, my wife and I have been married for 16 years. We've got four kids. Um, uh, you know, li life is good, man. Um, my wife's actually a high school English teacher and a cheerleading coach. Um, and my kids are, are range from six years old. I got two girls that are six and nine, and then my boys are uh, 11 and 14, about to be 12 and 15. And so when people find out not only that I have four kids, but also their ages, they're like, when did you start having kids? And I was like, um, I'm older than I look like, I mean, I guess you would consider it the normal time. You know, my wife and I have been married for a year and a half. We're like, Hey, we'll start a family. So. Yeah. I mean, I get that quite a bit too. I got three kids and I, I mean, I did start fairly early by, by most people's standards, not where I live. I'm in Utah. Yeah. <laughs> People get rolling early and keep it rolling right. lives a lot around yeah. here. So I, I didn't, I didn't fall outside of the norm here, but you know, people are pretty stunned when they hear I have three kids and I'm 33. Uh Oh, uh, -oh. uh, let's just avoid the numbers. We don't want any curses. Or <laughs> here. Uh, well, so. Inevitably, I'm sure you get this a lot. Well, maybe not as much in Utah. But, you know, anytime somebody hears you have more than two kids, they're like, the, the number one response is, oh, you must have your hands full. I'm like, like, come up with something else. Like, seriously. Yeah, of course I have my hands full. <laughs> I'm outnumbered. I mean, what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. It's one of those things where, you know, people learn something about you. And then they just comment the most obvious thing they could ever find to comment. Like, you yeah. know, babies are hard. <laughs> um, I, I recognized that a long time ago. As I, as I got older, I recognized that um, as I would meet uh, like high school students and stuff like that, the number one question they get asked is, where are you going to college? What are you going to do? All that stuff. And so I made it a point to make sure that I did not lead off with those questions whenever I met a young student of some kind. Um, I was always trying to find out something different about them than the traditional questions that everybody else asked them. So did you pull the Barbara Walters and just ask them what kind of twee they would be? Or? <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know what it was, but it was just, you know, I was just trying to find out something unique about them. Um, you know, that where, because, 
one of the things that I try to be is memorable to other people. And the way you're memorable to other people is setting yourself apart, which is something that I talk about whenever I tweet out sometimes, you know, observe the masses and do the opposite. Quit doing what everybody else is doing. Because in terms of money, man, everybody else is broke. So why are we doing what they're doing? Yeah, man, you know, I've always felt much the same. Go your own way, do your own thing, trial and error. Find out what works for you. Find out what feels true to you and live by a code, a set of principles that are that resonate with you. Have a code, do have rules, live within the confines of those rules, but make sure that those rules that you're living by, if you ask yourself, is this a true principle? The immediate answer and the well-explored answer is yes. I know who I am. I know what I'm doing because I've thought about it and I've tested it and this is what works. This is what I feel aligned with. If you don't have that in your life, then it's very difficult to determine which direction you want to go in because it's like, okay, well, what foundation am I making my decision from? If any old decision is going to work because it's the most expedient one in the moment, you might just be spinning in circles. This is an easy decision. <laughs> you know, it's like climbing a mountain is intentional and difficult. But then when you get to the top of a mountain and you look out over the valley and you see the world before you, man, that's what life is all about. And right. you, know, you can do that literally or you could do that metaphorically, but either way, you got to have the determination and you got to have the goal and you got to know where you're going to be able to experience that. Well, so, what, yeah, yeah, go ahead. What, what some, what most people do in, in the planning process, one, most people don't plan. Um, but in the planning process, it's important to know what your purpose and your objective is before you start doing anything else. And what most people do is they focus on all of the, um, all of the things before they actually ask themselves, do all these things, are all these things actually lining up with my purpose and my objective as far as what I want to accomplish. And so you're exactly right. You know, you, you got to have some sort of guiding conviction about where you're headed. Um, because otherwise, uh, I mean, this is kind of cliche, but you know, if you don't have a target you're aiming for, you're never going to hit it. That's right. Or, you know, throw a stone in a random direction and keep doing that. And pretty soon you're going to hit something. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> your target <laughs> might not be that pleased. <laughs> you know, the, when you said that, this reminded me of a story I heard one time. So uh, I, I've said this before uh, on Twitter. Like, I used to be involved in a network marketing company. Um, and uh, I'm actually still a part of that company. I use the product, but I don't, I don't actually market it. Um, but I heard that they were talking, this was in reference to prospecting. And he, the guy was talking about, he was, he was the, the sales director for the company. He was talking about prospecting. And he said, he said, you know, if you ever feel like you're running out of people, just go to a, a Walmart parking lot and pick up a rock and toss it and stand there. And the next person that walks by the rock, just say, you're the next person to walk by the rock. And he's like, there's a person right there. And I was like, just so, just so, so random, you know, but you know, the, the reality is 
this the, the thought of that <laughs> the thought of that kind of reminds me of the fact of something that Chris Johnson talks about is there is no competition. There's there's too many people out there for there to be competition when it comes to business and stuff like that. So so if you ever feel like you're gonna run out of people, you just gotta change your mindset. Yeah, man, absolutely. Um it's funny you mentioned that because while you were talking that I was thinking back to my door to door Kirby vacuum salesman days. Yes. And <laughs> everybody who works for Kirby at some point becomes a sleaze ball because that's kind of the jam. And I was resisting that with all my might. And you know, like my sales guy, we'd go out in a van and it'd be like him driving and then five of us and two of us or three of us would be knockers and two of us would be closers or whatever. Go do the demos. <laughs> and I would go into these demos and, and he would he would critique me at first afterwards, you know, for like the first two or three of them. And he would say, <laughs> he would say, look, no matter what they say, just keep doing what you keep doing. You know, if you're going to vacuum their bed, vacuum their bed and just cover their bed with all these samples. Just make it look disgusting. Just cover everything. No matter what they say, just do the demonstration, say the lines, you'll have way more success. And I was like, dude. I don't know why you sell this way, but you don't have to. You can, like, you can you can develop a relationship with the person, and instead of embarrassing them, you can just make them like you. Yeah, they like you, then they want to buy from you, no matter what you're selling. Like, you can gross them out with their own life, or you could do that just a little bit. Like, hey, you know, this is not. You might want to get rid of that if you got kids, you got allergies, whatever. But hey, by the way, I'm a likable guy, and I'm here doing a thing for you. And oh, you want me to clean this extra little thing here? Good, sure, no problem. I got another ten minutes. Oh. Well, what do you know? I did just as well on that van as the guys wearing the suits and giving the plastic smiles and saying the lines. And I didn't have to like, I didn't have to be a jerk the whole right, time. Right, right. So it's uh, I just kind of went off on that rant because you, you know, those those lines from the sales managers. You know, like just whoever, whoever says, <laughs> yeah, that's your that's your winner. That's your guy. That's your guy. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I say this, um, I've tweeted this out a few different times, but it's something that, that I, I believe is important and I, and I want people to understand you will sell more with authenticity than you ever will with tactics. And, uh, that Kirby vacuum story kind of reminded me. So my wife and I, we had uh, sold our house and we were moving to another house and we had like we had the, the, the last little bit of stuff that we were getting out of the house and it's getting late. It's like, I don't know, it's like four or five o'clock in the afternoon. And these guys come up to the house, these vacuum guys come up to the house and they're like, Hey, you know, they're telling us about their vacuum and everything. Like, Hey, can we just clean two rooms in your house? You, you know, the drill <laughs> can let us, let us just clean two rooms in your house. And like, uh, okay. But like, we're, we're moving. And, you know, and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm not about to pay you to do this. And I'm like, no, 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 we get, we get paid no matter what, you know, let us just clean two rooms in your house. I was like, okay. I mean, we we're going to hire a cleaning company to come in and do the carpets and all that stuff. I was like, sure. You know, that might cut down on the bill a little bit. So, you know, they're doing their thing. Well, then the other guy, like one guy's in the other room cleaning, then the other guy's in here, you know, giving the sales pitch and all this stuff. And, man, he, he, he worked us hard. And I just kept, I just kept laughing. He's like, why do you keep laughing at me? I was like, because I've told you we are moving and the house that we're moving to 
has no carpet. <laughs> like there was no carpet in the entire house. And I told him that and he kept just trying to sell me on this idea. But like, you know, I was just like, man, like I'm, it, it was a complete waste of their time. Um, and it was a complete waste of our time too. Cause that was like an, that man, that, that whole, that whole thing took, I don't know, maybe like two or three hours from start to finish. And, uh, they did not get to sell. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, you talked about a minute ago, how there's no competition because there's too many people, but you know, there really is competition. If you do the same exact thing as everybody else, like you talked about too, it's like, if you do the same thing as everybody else, you're going to get the same results as everybody else. How's that working out for them? You know, maybe that's, maybe that's all well and good in certain aspects. It's not like society has every single thing wrong. Although, I mean, we could, things are, things are heading in directions, but if, like look out there and if you see the average result doesn't work for you, don't do the same thing, stupid. It's like, I mean, how do you think this works? There's a weird, there's a weird disconnect that people have. It's like, look, you think stuff and then you do stuff based on what you think and then you get results based on what you do. You can't cheat that process. It just is how, what it is. So if you, if you want to change what you get, you got to change what you do and you got to change what you think to do that. It's a very simple process, you know, just like start where you think, think about different things, but you know, like tell yourself different things, write down different things, and then you'll do different things. And when you do that, you get different results and you're convinced and you keep going. You can't, I, it's so funny. And you know, I, I went through this, I wanted to deny the way the world works because it, was inconvenient for me and I had a rough adolescence and early adulthood because I chose to try to deny reality but at a certain point it's like look it's a very simple chance all you got to do is do the right thing and you get better things in your life and I you know mm -hmm. as soon as I realized that it's like I, I'm, I'm very smart in some ways but I'm very dumb in other ways but the ways that I'm dumb and I don't have ease with it's just like well just do the thing you think is most right and take your time and you're good, dude. Like most people are not even going to do that. Yeah. So, so look, man, part of the reason I had you on here is because, um, you know, I'm a person who loves to pull useful stuff out of people and then put it into my own life. And, um, you know, I've been doing that for some time now and, and leveling up, but one of the places in my life, um, just to, you know, be honest is, I'm not that solid in the financial domain yet. Um, I lived a life where I couldn't afford my life for a long time. Um, and now I'm in a place where I'm, you know, I can afford my life and I'm paying off my debt from my last life and stuff. But um, I know the crushing pressure and weight that like a lot of debt can, can foist on a person. And I know the hopelessness that can come with um, not seeing a way out of your dark financial situation and everything. Um, and I wanted to bring you on here to bring a little light to some of the people who might be listening to this and say, Hey, you know, like there's some principles out there that you might use to guide your actions. And I know that, um, you have a lot of experience in this area and I know that there's also an opportunity for people to, um, invest in themselves a little bit more and that you can be a channel for doing that. Um, but what I really want to do is maybe ask you, what are some of the things that a person who feels that hopelessness inside of them about money, 
what would you tell them to start doing? I mean, what are the first things you might tell a person to start doing to just change their perspective on money? So the number one thing that you have to do, no matter what kind of plan or strategy that you're following, you absolutely have to have some sort of discipline in place. And the number one thing that, that anyone has to do if their money is out of control, the number one thing that anyone has to do is they've got to be able to figure out how much is going out and how much is coming in and figure out if they're, if they're, if they can't afford their life, as you said earlier, then they've got to figure out what can I get rid of to make sure that I can afford my life or how can I make more money? You know, some people don't want to trim the fat on their budget. Well, if you don't want to trim the fat on your budget, then go make more money. And you and I both know Twitter is an endless opportunity to, to make money. I mean, it absolutely is. It's mind blowing. Um, so if you're not willing to cut back on your expenses, then go make more money, figure out a way to do that. Find people who are doing it. Um, there's plenty of people out there who are doing it right now and go learn from them, go find out, you know, something that you can apply to your life that will put you in a different place financially than you are right now. So I like that. That would be, that would be my first thing is, you know, either, either trim the fat or go, you know, go, go stack some cash. And just to interject here a little bit from my end, um, I really would recommend that you do both of those things, but sometimes, and I'll speak a little bit from experience here. Um, there's this feeling that you have of um, like it's a, it's a literal weight almost. I mean, it's a psychological weight, but it really feels heavy when, when you have this money thing hanging over you. And, you know, fortunately I'm a strong guy and I'm determined um, and obsessive to a certain degree about certain things. And so it's like, okay, well, I'm just going to do this now. And once I decided I was going to get my life on track, you know, now it's, that's what I'm doing. But a lot of people don't have that conviction in their lives yet because they haven't aligned enough things. So when you have this, this weight, this, you know, this like this drag on your life because of the money thing, it can be very hard to motivate yourself to want to do above and beyond to do more because you're already feeling weighed down and to add anything more. That's why I recommend you trim the fat first, you know, and it's, it's a discipline thing too, because you're asking yourself, you know, do I want to feel like this for the rest of my life? No, I do not. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to make some sacrifices then because I've been living a certain way and it's gotten me here. I need to change that. So pull some stuff out. I guarantee you, no matter how poor you're living, unless you're living on the streets, there's some things you can cut out of your life. You, you know, like you've got, all these things in your life. How are you eating? Um, what are you doing for entertainment? Are you drinking and doing drugs? Are you smoking? Are you, you know, like tr trim some of that stuff back. I'm not even saying cut it all out of your life. It, you know, it's progress and it's steps and stuff. But if you can, if you can get to the point where like, even if you're coming in at zero with your paycheck, you get, you get a paycheck, you pay your dues, you got the food, you've got the fuel in your vehicle, you know, even if you can get to that point where you're not adding more to the red, it feels so much more possible to live your life when you just get to the point where you can, you can just come flush. And then you might think like, what can I do now that I don't feel just exhausted by my very existence to start making more money? 
Yeah, I'm a big Jim Rohn fan. And as you were speaking, something that reminded me of what something Jim Rohn said was everyone experiences two pains in life. They experience the pain of discipline or they experience the pain of regret. He Hmm. said, discipline weighs ounces and regret weighs tons. I like that. I like Jim Rohn too. I think he's a good dude. I, I had a, like a weekly work uh, book situation that I invested in through his company where they just would like send you stuff to do every week and think about and write about and stuff. Um, I've always been into self-help stuff since I decided to turn my life around. And that was, you know, a little more than 10 years ago, essentially. And it's like, a lot of people have bad things to say about the self-help world or about self-help books and stuff. It's like, well, even if 99% of the stuff in that book doesn't apply to you or is just the same old stuff rehashed, if there's one line in there that can shift your life one degree, it's just like Tony Robbins talks about, you know, speaking of, it's like, look, you can go in a straight line and get where you're going or you can alter it one or two degrees and over time you have a huge, massive result. So if there's one line in one book that you bought for $20, $30, $40, and it changed your trajectory, even just that little bit, your life down the road looks totally different. And I've seen the manifestation of that many times over now that I'm a decade into trying to improve my life. And so when people say stuff like that, it's just kind of funny. It's like, no, I don't, I don't think you're a very happy person right now because otherwise you wouldn't be taking the time to say stuff about people trying to improve their lives. You'd just be doing the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, the you were talking about Tony Robbins, uh, a book that that I read. Let's see, I guess it was three years ago now, called "The Compound Effect" by Darren Hardy. Um, just talks about you know how simple disciplines can turn into massive results, and you know and, and little changes over time. And that the the compound effect um, was probably one of one of the top books for me that made um, a significant impact in what I was doing at the time. And then after I started doing things a little bit differently and I've seen the results of that in a few different ways. And so um, it's a good book. If you, if you've never read it, um, I would highly recommend it for anybody listening. Uh, Go check it out. The compound effect by Darren Hardy. Nice. Um, When did you read that? Uh, 2016. Yeah, it was about, it was about three years ago that, uh, that I read that book. And, um, one of the things that it talks about in the book is tracking, um, Mm. which is, which is something that it's not, it's not a new, um, technique or anything, you know, it's just something that Darren Hardy talks about. And he's, especially when it comes to budgeting and finance and stuff like that, if you, if you're not on a budget, well, start carrying around a little notebook in your pocket. And every time you spend a dime, write it down in that little notebook. And what happens is as you start to see these things, one, one, you are starting to remind yourself of money going out. And you're also looking at where it's going. And sometimes it causes you to, 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 make the decision in your mind of, is it even worth writing down in my notebook? If it's not worth writing down in my notebook, well then it's not worth buying. And, uh, so anyways, the, the principle of tracking was just one simple thing that, that I started using 
that I, that I was able to see some results with. Yeah, man, that's, um, I've, I've heard that before and done that from time to time in my life. I mean, it's not something that I've stuck with consistently, but I've done it when I needed to be like, Hey, you know, where's all my money going? <laughs> and then you look and it's embarrassing. That's one of the things yeah. I recently, I quit smoking about four months ago. Yeah. I've seen and, you talk about that. Yeah. It's, I mean, I was embarrassed to be doing it the, since I was 16. <laughs> you know, and then I, like I, it's funny. My mom was a smoker when I was a kid and I hated it. And I had asthma as a kid and that was probably a contributing factor, even though I didn't live with her. You know, she'd, she'd done enough damage when I was young and stuff that it's like, because when puberty came, my asthma went away. Um, yeah. I, I thought I would never smoke. Never. Even when I started doing drugs and stuff, I'm like, I'm never smoking. That's so dumb. At least, at least with these drugs, I feel something. <laughs> and then <laughs> one, one day I was drunk and started smoking. I was like, Hey, this is pretty cool. I feel, I feel yeah. spinning. I feel, man. This is awesome. <laughs> I listened <laughs> to uh, your podcast with Ryan, Path of Manliness. Yeah. And, uh, and you told that story about the, the casino and all that stuff. Like the first yeah. time you ever smoked. And I have a, <laughs> I was the same age. I was like 12 when I smoked my first cigarette. Um, I, I, I had a friend who was staying at my house and my grandmother was keeping us that day because my parents were at work. And so uh, I didn't know it, but he, he like brought a pack of cigarettes over to the <laughs> house, like to spend the night. And like, I was like, okay. And I was like, what are we going to do with that? Like, I was just totally young and dumb and innocent. You know, I didn't know what was going on. This dude, he sticks it in his ear and walks straight past my grandmother in the living room. Like he was just, yeah. <laughs> well, I was like, Brilliant. so we go out, we go out, we go out behind the shed, um, which there's no telling how many things in, in a kid's life happened behind the shed. <laughs> Um, I mean, just, I mean, like, it just seems like I, I can, I can think back on all kinds of things. Yeah. I was trying to hide from my parents behind the shed, but anyways, we go behind the shed and, um, you know, he teaches me how to smoke and I remember coughing a lot. Um, <laughs> but as I got older, you know, in college and everything like that, you know, I would, I'd be around, uh, well, my roommate was a smoker. Um, and you know, he would offer it to me and I was just, I, it never really made sense to me. Like, okay, I, I put this thing in my mouth, I get some smoke in my mouth and then I blow the smoke out. Like that was as simple as the, the thought was for me. And I was like, this just doesn't make sense. Like, why would I do this? Like, I'm going to smell bad, you know, um, like it's not good for me. Like, I, I don't know. I just, just logically, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't justify it. So. Yeah, man. It's funny. I, I tell people every cigarette I ever smoked, I was going to quit after that one. I just always, like, I always hated it. I just did it anyway. Um, and it's something that maybe people on the outside of these kind of personalities don't understand is a lot of this comes from um, some, like some self-loathing situations or like some some unanswered issues that are hiding and they pop their heads up and and then you go I need a break you know and and then you go and you like for me smoking a cigarette I'd be out there smoking and then um 
you know, I'd be thinking about stuff or taking a break from other stuff. And then I would have these seven minutes of just like, ah, oh, God, I hate this. I hate this. Why am I doing this? Uh, um, what have I got to do? I've got to do this. I've got to do this. And uh, doesn't, I don't feel good doing this. Gosh, uh, and then I got to do this. And I got to do this. Okay. And then, uh, okay, man, I got to take a few breaths. I got to get back to it. Uh, okay. And then, but <laughs> you know, what's- you could just, you could just do that breathing, you know, like you could just go do that for seven minutes and then come back mm-hmm. and then not feel like death. <laughs> well, you know, what's funny is it's almost ironic because people say, you know, the reason that they smoke is because they're stressed. But what you just said is even in the moments that you were smoking, you were stressed. Just about a different thing. Right, right. And don't get me wrong. I mean, it works good for that. You know, people find a way of making what they do work in a certain way. You know, like, for instance, you, you might like have you got, you got your cost and you got your benefit, you know, and like maybe your cost is up here, but your benefit's close enough and you don't really care that much for yourself or you lie to, you like lie to yourself and then, Oh, the benefits up here. And if, I mean, to be honest, that break from things and that, uh, like that shifting of gears and then it, and then like the obvious shifting of gears back to what you're doing. Cause you feel like crap after smoking and you obviously don't want to keep doing that it's a very useful tool, but it is not worth it because the cost to your life and your self-respect and your pocketbook and, you know, your general just sense of well-being is, is clearly not worth it, but you can talk yourself into it because it's a useful tool. You know, what's interesting is we lie to ourselves more than we tell ourselves the truth. It's weird. It is weird. Because in most cases, well, in nearly every case, lying to ourselves is never a benefit for us. Telling the truth is always going to be a benefit for us. You know, even when it's tough truth, you know, if we're willing to tell ourselves the truth, then we're going to be a whole lot better off than trying to live this mythological life. You know, they're trying to create minds about how things, how things are when they're really not that way. Yeah, you know, this is this is an area that I've been thinking about a lot lately. And people people are driven by stories, and sometimes the story that you tell yourself has a different result than you might expect. You know, we we run a narrative stream along in our consciousness all the time, and like, you know, you tell yourself a certain story with certain characters, and certain things happen, and there's a lot of information encoded in those stories more than you might even imagine, even if you wrote the story there's more inside of that story than you intended way more because if another person reads it or listens to it or experiences your story, they're going to pull different things out of it. There's a lot inside of that process. So I have been researching like where's the place for just concrete facts, you know, where's the place where just like, this is the fact, everything should be obvious from there. And then where's the place where you do sort of have to, it's not, it's not lying, but it's, it's weaving a story around some facts. It's, it's telling yourself a useful fiction because you, in a certain sense, you have to do that. You don't have the answers for what happened in the past beyond a certain point. You just kind of have to say, this is what happened that led up to where I'm at now. Your memory's flawed. You have to recognize that. Like I, 
you know, I'm not sure I know exactly what happened in certain situations, but I know the principles of life. So what is a story I'm going to tell myself about the past that's going to make me stick true to the truths I hold most dear in the future? It's a tricky process. Yeah. So I've, you know, I've just been kind of, I've been talking with a lot of people on this podcast. I'm talking with you here and you're, you're telling a story and, you know, we have these little interjections. Well, here's a piece of my life. And then here's the payoff, you know, like here's the principle or the lesson within it. And that's kind of how we communicate. So it's interesting. I mean, when you think about it in that term or in those terms, it becomes easier to go, oh, well, if you have, if you have like a bad fact you're holding on to or a bad principle, it's very easy to weave a, a story inside of your life that is not useful, that is not optimal, that is not good for you. But as long as you hold on to that, that kernel or that like seed of the story, as long as that's a principle in your life, you can't, you can't get rid of, you know, you can't get rid of that narrative arc. You have to change the things that you believe to change the things that you think, you know, like we're adding another step to what we talked about at the beginning. If you believe differently. Yeah, man. Absolutely. And And I I know the belief. Go. Um, So with the with the different versions of the story that we tell ourselves, this is something that Garrett Daly actually tweeted out yesterday. It was a it was a snippet of basically all the different versions of you that are out there, because every 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 other person that we communicate with, we we give them the version that we want them to have of who we are, and so everybody in your life looks at you a little bit differently because of the way that you interact with them. Now I try to be as real as possible. I can with, with everybody that I meet, but like you said, you know, there are, there are snippets of our life that, that we, that we, that we have, that we kind of weave in different directions and things like that. And, you know, we have stories based on facts in our lives that we can tell two different ways, depending on who we're talking to and really ultimately end up with two different outcomes, you know, using the same story. So hundred percent. In fact, what has often stunned me and especially as you begin to talk to people more and more. And I know that you talk to a lot of people because of kind of the nature of what you do on, there's a couple of things you do that where you have to talk to people all the time, but you start to see, Oh, almost everything this person believes or like wants to have happen aligns with what I want to have happen. We might vary on small things, but for the most part, we believe the same things are good. We want the same things for our families. We want the same things for the people around us, but the places that we come from, our principles, our foundation um, is different. And so the the way that we think we're going to get what we want is different. And so that's what we're arguing is basically how do we get to the place that we all want to be? And it's funny because there's there's a disconnect with a lot of people. And maybe like for me, there was a big disconnect between what happens and what I thought was going to happen and my acceptance of the gap between those two things so I could narrow it. But I had to like get real close to utterly destroying myself to realize I needed to switch that mentality. And so even even with that understanding, I'm still my mind is still blown when I look out in the world around me and I see people going, the world is this way. And then they act as such and then they don't get what they want 
And then instead of going, oh, maybe the world isn't this way, they go, no, you blocked me from producing reality. It's like, no, man, Real- reality is what it is. You're the one, you're the one who's missing the point. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you got to reset the play. If the play doesn't work, reset it. You know, the ultimate result, I mean, the ultimate goal is to score. You know, if we're talking about, you know, sports, the ultimate goal is to score uh, a touchdown if we're talking about football. But, you know, sometimes the play doesn't work. So you got to, you know, you got to reset the play. You got to do something different. Yeah, man. A hundred percent. So I know that you're a family man and I'm a family man too. And I don't think that's a subject that gets necessarily talked about all that much these days, or at least it seems to only be a topic of discussion when there's controversy surrounding it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So I'd rather give family men a chance to have something that they hold dear talked about in a way that isn't hyperbolic or, um, you know, sort of controversial. And I wonder like, you know, I've, I've certainly learned a lot from my family and I'm, it's the greatest gift I've, I've ever had. You know, I, I have my wife who I love and, and, you know, I believe that we were made for each other specifically and that our family was destined to be as long as we could be the kind of people who could bring it about. And the power of the commitment that I've experienced because I committed, I'm here, I'm doing this. It, you know, it, it has been like, my North star in my life is what I'm doing going to be good for my wife and my relationship with her and my children. And if the answer is no, at a certain point I have to let it go, you know, cause it keeps popping up. This is not, this is not what I need. This is not what I need. And so I wonder like, how has having a family affected you and changed your trajectory? And what do you think the benefits of having a family are versus um, maybe just going it alone and, and, and that kind of line of thinking? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, my perspective, uh, well, I mean, having kids at such a young age, like it's hard to remember when I didn't have a family. <laughs> it's hard to remember, you know, what my, what my mindset was. But the first thing that comes to mind for me is the day that my son was born, I realized at that moment that it was no longer about me. Because when you have a child, your entire world revolves around that child. I mean, I, I mean, it, your schedule is dictated to the T based on that child. And, you know, so being a family man, I, I, I mean, I have guys that, that, I, that I've known that, well, uh, okay, so one guy in particular, uh, a guy that I went to high school with for the longest time, like, he, he swore off marriage. He swore off family, all this stuff. Like he was like, Oh, y'all are a bunch of, you know, weaklings for, you know, getting married and having kids. And, you know, you should have been out having fun and all this stuff. And I'm never getting married and all that stuff until he met the right woman. (laughs) And this, this dude completely changed (laughs) everything that he had been talking about for the last 10 years, 15 years was completely different. So then it all became all about her and it became about, you know, them maybe starting a family one day and all this stuff, like everything just completely changed. And so from 
that perspective, when you have a family, I would say if you're selfish, it's going to be very, very difficult to have a family and prosper. Mm. You've got to be selfless in your relationship with your wife. You've got to, to, to a certain extent, you know, there, there are certain things that like we, we don't compromise who we are. You know, we still hold to our principles and everything like that. My wife and I are not the same. We don't agree on everything, um, sure. but we don't fight. I mean, we, I mean, everybody fights, but like we don't have fights like some other couples might have. Um, in fact, early in our marriage, I was talking to somebody about this. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, a guy who had been divorced twice was trying to give me relationship advice. Um, and uh, so, you know, we're, couple of years into our marriage and, and he's, uh, talking to me and he was, he was asking me about, you know, how often, you know, we fought in the last two years. And I was like, we don't fight. And he was like, dude, you have to fight. And I was like, we're, we're just, we, we love, we love each other. We get along, you know, and there's, there are, there are certain things that, that are worth compromising on. There are certain things that are not worth compromising on. And, um, but you know we've had our we've had our disagreements over the years but the one thing the two things that that i will never do one is lay a hand on my wife and two is i've never yelled at my wife um you know i can disagree with her i mean it's just my temperament my nature i can disagree with her and win it and i can and i can uh i, I think we've kind of talked about this, this is kind of a superpower when you're when you're able to disagree with someone but still maintain the the same tone <laughs> in the conversation um so that's just the way i am and so the the overwhelming for me would be the fact that having a family changes your perspective on what's important i like that um, I was on Zubi's podcast uh, on Thursday, I think, and he asked me about family too. And I, I, especially the first part of your answer, I it was almost like verbatim what I said. You know, when you see the baby born, you understand this person relies on me for everything in their life for two decades almost. You know, like right now they rely on yeah. every single thing, but you know they're going to rely on me for basically two decades, maybe more where I'm going to have to chaperone and shepherd and teach and, and I'm going to have to, and that's the thing. That's the thing. Who do I have to be to be able to do that for them? I'm not that person right now. No, you know, very few people are when they first have a kid, regardless of what age they are. If you're 20, if you're 30, if you're 40, when you have that kid and, and you have that realization, and if you don't have that realization, there's probably something wrong with your brain and i don't say that jokingly i mean like there's a very real neurochemical and physiological response to having a baby on top of the emotional and the spiritual connection your body's supposed to change when you see your baby you know it's it's inbred it's in the genetics you're supposed to look at the baby and have the oxytocin and touch it and skin to skin and you bond and and it's and it's that and then it's forever you know so when you have that happen to you assuming that all your chemistry and your wires are you know where they need to be connected you have this realization like I've been living a way that does not like it's not it doesn't work when 
your priority is this little person and your priority has to be this little person because there's this tacit recognition that I have this baby now. And if I don't do a good job, this is going to be a ruined person. And I can't do that. If you have an ounce of responsibility within you, you go, no matter what I do in my life, I have to make sure that this little person does not become broken because of the way that I raise them. They might anyway, choices are going to be what they're going to be, but I have to do everything within my power to make sure that this person who I've just bonded with and that I brought into the world, that that wasn't a curse that I gave them to bring them into this world and to be my child. I have to be a person who can bestow blessings upon my child and give them a solid foundation so that they can jump out into their life and make something of it instead of being constantly fighting the past and the, and the history that I cursed them with. And when you realize that it's like, okay, man, here we go. <laughs> well, I think, I think every loving parent wants their kid to have a better life than they had. And well, the only way that that's going to happen is if we get our minds right around what our responsibilities are and what we have to go out and do and accomplish and create. Yeah, man, I like to say in hindsight, it's always best to get your mind right. <laughs> Absolutely. So parenting's challenging. It's very challenging. You know, it's not uh, like, like my friends, Noble and Sarah Beth say, um, parenting is not for the weak. So what are some things you might tell somebody considering becoming a parent about you know, the real difficulties and challenges that they're going to face and overcome and how, and how to measure whether or not you're the kind of person who ought to make that decision. Man. I don't know how much uh, life experience really prepares you for, for parenthood. Um, I, I think I think it's just one of those things that, that when it happens, something inside of us is supposed to, you know, there's, there's always the, the, the deadbeats that, you know, have kids and don't, you know, consider can, can continue to live selfishly. But for the most part, it seems like when, when that opportunity is, presented or when the news is, is brought to you, um, something begins to change in your mind just a little bit. And then once, once it actually happens and you become a parent, the, the, the responsibilities that you have now are completely different than they were before. Um, for anyone, for, for any good parent, for, for well, I mean, even, even an average parent, um, they recognize the fact that, there are different responsibilities now. Um, so as far as being, I didn't really, so, okay. So uh, I think about my brother, um, whenever they had their first child, he was not ready. <laughs> I mean, like he was not ready at all. He was not ready to be a parent. It, it, it really, it really just floored him. Um, mm. But eventually, over time, he got to the point where he was a good parent. Mm. Um, but it, but it, it took some time for him because he, he wasn't ready. Um, and now, 
uh, I mean, I look at him now and the way he, the way he is with his kids. I mean, he's, his kids love him. I mean, he's a, he's a great dad. Um, and I'm proud of him for that. Um, and and what's, what's funny is me and him both have four kids. And on top of that, my business partner has four kids too, and we're all really close. So if we all get in the same room, <laughs> it gets loud really quick. Oh uh, uh, yeah, man. I'll bet. I love now, that. That hasn't, that hasn't happened. Uh, actually that hasn't happened yet, even though we're all really close. Uh, that hasn't happened yet, but the day that that does happen, good Lord, it's going to be crazy. Yeah, man. I, I'm an only child and there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of children in my father's side of my family and my mother's side um, either. So, you know, when I was young, we would have these family reunions and it was just filled with geezers and then like middle-aged people and then me and a couple other kids. Yeah. So when I married my wife, I married into her family, which is a, a Mormon family and Mormons are big on, big on family, big time. And I loved it. Right, right. I was always hoping for it. And so when we get together, you know, I'm passing out hugs and giving high fives and playing with the kids and chatting up with the adults and pissing people off every once in a while. And then you can just kind of move <laughs> to a different circle. It's like, okay, yeah. Yeah, I'll just kind of leave you over here with this. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm going to go give grandma a hug and tell her I love her. So it's nice to, oops, it's nice to, uh, to have that in your life where you get that gathering of people. And, you know, I have three kids. That's probably as many as I'll have. It's for sure as many as I'll have. And, um, you know, my wife's got two sisters and a brother and so far we've got three kids in that mix. Well, actually that's not quite right. Um, she's also got another sister, um, who's older than her, who's a half sister. And, um, that's, that's a relationship that's recently been reconnected and she's got a whole pile of kids now cause she's pregnant with twins. That's so awesome. It's awesome, man. You know, when we get together and our little kids are playing and we're, you know, like we're talking and stuff, but you look over at the kids and to see the family unit just like so tight and loving life together. I, it's hard to, it's hard to express to somebody who doesn't experience that, how special it is. And yeah. for me, that connection with people who, you know, you share blood with and, and your children are bonded from the time they're born with. It's, that's one of the most important aspects of family to me. And all that that we've just said about family, about the blessings and responsibilities, one of the ways in which you need to make sure that you do what you can to maintain that is to take care of your finances. So in that light, what are some of the things that you would suggest people look out for if they're considering starting a family or they're early on starting their family, what are some of the pitfalls that people can fall into? What are some of the things that they can do to um, make wiser decisions? Uh, you know, obviously if you're young and you don't have a lot of money, you're not going to be making a lot of investments and stuff, but what are some of the pitfalls they can look out for? And what are some of the wise strategies they could start early um, besides, I guess the budgeting and the tracking that we've already talked about. So, um, as far as investments and things like that, like I am not, um, I'm not a financial advisor or anything like that. Like I don't recommend investments. What I teach is, is an, as a strategy that enables you to use your money in the most efficient way possible. And, um, I would say maximum efficiency with whatever amount of money you have coming into your house will 
will set you apart from everyone else. Um, and one of the principles that, that I teach people how to do is recover something that most people are completely unaware of, which is something called opportunity cost, which is, um, and if you go look at, if you, if you're on Twitter and you go look at my pen tweet video, um, I show an illustration of how, you know, we, we were taught two different ways to acquire things. And I use the example of the way people buy cars. You know, we were taught either to pay, save up and pay cash for something, or we were taught to go borrow money from the bank and make payments back to the bank. And so what I teach people how to do is taking that, taking the principle of this right here, you are always, always making payments to someone. You, you finance everything in your life, whether you're paying cash or not. And the, the reason I say that is because when you, when you borrow money from the bank, obviously you're making payments back to the bank. Okay. But when you are saving up to pay cash for something, well, guess what? You're making payments to yourself for a future purchase. So if you can understand that concept and allow me to come alongside you and teach you a strategy to, to take that basic idea of always making payments to someone, <clears throat> I can show you something that will completely change your life. Not only that, but <clears throat> in the process of just creating a system for maximum efficiency in your life, over time, you will begin to build a, a quite honestly, a family legacy for future generations. So not only will you change your life, but you're going to change your kids, your grandkids, and so on. And all you have to do is apply what I'm trying to teach you. So for someone just starting out, I actually tweeted this out yesterday, you know, 65 is a stupid arbitrary number for retirement age. If somebody at 20 years old will listen to me for 20 years and do what I tell them to do, they can retire and then live and enjoy the next 40 years of their life. Imagine being able to retire at 40 years old and having your kids and grandkids and, you know, just being able to do all the things you want to do. Well, the reason 65 is the age where everybody thinks of retirement is it, it was actually, it, it was really a scam is what it was because the government um, in terms of social security, the government was betting on the fact that people weren't going to live to 65 or much past 65. So that's where the age of 65 even came about. Well, people are living longer now. And quite honestly, you, you go in any, you know, Walmart or, or restaurant or, you know, any of these places and you see these people who, who should be, you know, enjoying their kids and their grandkids and living life. And they're just trying to, to keep their head above water because they were sold on this idea that social security somehow was going to meet all their needs and take care of them. When the reality is social security for, for there are not very many people who are thriving off of social security whatsoever. Um, most people are in, 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 in really bad shape. And so if somebody will listen to me for, you know, any amount of time and just start applying these things and I'm teaching them. <laughs> I mean, it, they can, they can change their situation, honestly. And, and for people who you, you were talking about this earlier, people who just feel like they don't have any hope 
Like they can't really see the light, you know, that maybe they feel like they're too far gone. Well, guess what? I work with people like that. They feel like they're too far gone. And by the time I'm able to show them what's possible, man, that hope is restored. You can see it in their eyes. You can hear it in their voice. That is powerful. Being able to, being able to empower others is powerful for me. And giving people that hope is something that, that I just, I love doing. I love being able to, to show people what's possible. Yeah, man. There's, there's a very particular and powerful sensation that comes when you bring light into somebody's world. That's what I'm here to do. You know, that's as much as I like to joke around and as much as I'm obnoxious, that's because I'm trying to be genuine to who I am. I am that way. You know, I'm up in your face and I'm obnoxious and I'm annoying and I'm relentless, but I'm that way with everything, you know, like I'm that way when it comes to, I had to figure out all the things that I need to do to get my mind right. And so it's like, now I can teach you that. I can teach you that because I did it. I, I was so far gone in so many ways. And then now I'm not. And I did all the work in between to get there. Nobody else did it for me. I had teachers, I had mentors, I had interventions, I had good fortune, I had support. But almost everybody has all of those things. The difference between the people who make it from one place to another and then people that don't is humility and effort. And, you know, as I was listening to what you're just saying, there's a thing that I've learned to recognize within myself. And when you have a thing that you're not optimized for and somebody starts talking about it, you start to block it out. Like you hear the words, but you're not really receiving them. And I've learned to catch that in myself. And I was just doing that, you know, it's like, I'm listening to you. And then, you know, I'm considering, okay, like I have my financial situation and it's, it's, I mean, it's not like, I don't feel crushed or anything like that. I'm, I'm moving in the right direction. I'm feeling good. And I'm starting to explore more strategies because I have leeway right. now, uh, you know, like my cash flow exceeds my, <laughs> my problems and my, and my issues and my debts and my, and my, all my stuff, you know, I can pay for my life and then some like, okay, so what am I going to do with that? But now that I have, and then some, what am I going to do with and then some, but I, I'm listening to you and, and it's like, no, no, hold on to it, man. Mm -mm, no, hold on to it. So like you said, and, and I can tell you've experienced this before. If they would just do what I would tell them to do, everything would work out for them. <laughs> and I've had that a million times. Just like, dude, I just explained to you exactly what your problem is. You agreed with me. You know that I've had a similar problem and that I came out the other side and now I'm good. You know I've done it. You've seen me do it. I just told you how to get out. I just told you what you could start doing right now and asked you if you would. I don't know. <laughs> okay, dude. And and this is even this is even from a like I'm offering my free advice and I'll stand here and hold your hand along the way for the next little while until you're ready to go, whether it's exercise, whether it's mental things, whether it's how to do specific stuff in your life. I can teach you a system, I can show you how to chunk it out, I can tell you where your first step is, and then I can support you while you are uncomfortable or uncertain in your initial stages now well then why are we even having this conversation man and i can tell just listening to you that you've had that a bunch of times like i can i can show you i can help you i can teach you you probably can but i don't know so i and there's just this wall right in front of me that i can't get past because uh 
if I allow myself to feel hope and then it's crushed, then I'll probably be destroyed. So I better just never feel hope and be crushed and destroyed anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, uh, the strategy that we teach, of course, you've gone through my course, so you know, you know what I'm That's talking about. That's why you're about. here. That's why yeah, you're here, man. Exactly. Exactly. So <laughs> most people, one of the, one of the biggest comments, um, well, two, two things. So the biggest response that I get from people who go through the course is, wow, this blew my mind, which is, which is huge. I mean, Ryan, the Pat the Manliness podcast that I did the other day, Ryan says on his show, I have an economics degree. You know, he, he has a, he has a, uh, a background in the financial sector. He knows about finance. He knows about money. And he said, I got to be honest, man, uh, you blew my mind you know? And so I have a ton of confidence in what I teach and, you know, and how I can help someone. But the, um, I was, I was reminded of something earlier. You were talking about having a mentor. And one of the things that we are unique in is not only are we going to teach you something, but we're going to coach you through the process. And we're not going to charge you a hundred dollars an hour to do that. We're just, I mean, freely available, you know, I mean, I mean, as, as much as my time allows, but I mean, people, people, you know, I work with um, people who are implementing the strategy who, who have, who have decided, um, you know, they wanted me to come alongside them and help them get started and everything like that. You know, we're not charging them through that. So it sounds crazy to say, but you have me, for life as someone that you can bounce ideas off of, you know, for, you know, anything in, in regards to your financial life. And, um, you know, I have the, the caliber of people that I'm working with are people who have quite honestly been willing to drop their pride. And I think that's that wall. A lot of times is really just your pride is what that's it is. <laughs> and so, and the reason I say that is because I have doctors, I have lawyers. I have guys with MBA degrees. I have guys with finance degrees. I mean, that's just a, a few examples. I mean, I have people from all kinds of different backgrounds, but that's just a few examples of people who, you know, quite honestly, you would think that their pride would not allow them to come to someone like me and say, please teach me something, you know, but they're willing to drop their pride. And they're willing to say, hey, is there really something out there that can help me? Is there really something better than what I've been taught my entire life that could actually help me? And once they're willing to do that, well, they find out, oh, wow, that, where's this been my entire life? You know? Um, so it, it's, it, it's been mind-blowing to, to see the caliber of people attach themselves to me and reach out to me for help. And, uh, which is, which is just a ton of fun. I mean, I, I, I absolutely love what I get to do. Like it's so much fun. I, and, and what's really cool is when I get to show people what's possible, even I still get chills over it as I'm teaching it. Like I, like there's genuine excitement that I get each time I get to show someone what they can do with this. The, the way this all came about was I learned about it. I started applying it to my life. 
I got excited about it. And then I wanted to go teach other people how to do it too. That's, that's how this all came about. That's how this podcast came about. <laughs> I, you know, that's, that's how my whole, that's the whole reason I'm on the internet is that same feeling like, man, I love my life. It's not perfect. I mean, as far as like, I have a vision and it's not accomplished, but I'm moving towards it. And I, you know, I know how to take vision and convert it into reality through my actions and my thoughts. I know the process and I've proved it to myself enough times. And I've used the tools that I use to do that with other people enough times to know that it's a, it's a fundamental thing. It's like a, it's like a imperative in reality. If you do certain things a certain way, you get certain results. It's just how reality works. You know, there's like a, it's a very complex algorithm, you know, but if you interact with it certain ways, you get certain things and you can experiment and see what happens. And there's a lot of variability in some things, but there's no variability in other things. It's just is what it is. It's like physics, like gravity doesn't, gravity doesn't play, you know, it just is. You can't, you can't, it's like, it just is, the rules are the rules sometimes. When it comes yeah. to society and people, you know, there's a little bit of like weirdness at the edges because there's so many, it's so complex and there's so many contributing forces. But when it comes to like, I have a mind, I have a body, I have this reality I'm interfacing with, I have my life. To do certain things, you get certain results. We're habitual. You can see it. You know, you can, when, when you learn to look at things on that level and take a step back and look at your life, you then can take a step back and look at everybody's life and you go, Oh, you're doing these things over and over again. And what you begin to see is this is what a loser does. And this is what a winner does in this particular aspect of life. Everybody does loserish stuff. Sometimes they don't even realize it because they haven't had a situation that's alerted them to the fact that they're not living optimally. You sometimes have to hit a wall before you realize that. But once you, once you do that enough, then you start to examine yourself as is like par for the course. I'm looking at chance right now because I need to make sure that I'm doing things according to my rules, according to my code and according to, I want to be optimal. Okay. I found a thing. It doesn't work. What am I going to do about that? Oh, I look and I see what a losers do and what a winners do. And then I pick the winners habit and then I integrate that into my life. And then I just start doing that. So as you're talking about money and you're talking about what you can teach people, I just want people to know I have gone through your course. I have, um, thought about these things. I'm not a dumb guy. I'm a smart guy in a lot of ways. And one of the ways I'm smart is I understand systems. And when I was listening to you and imagining what I could do with the principles that you're teaching, especially down the road, especially once momentum has um, come into play, it's like, well, not for nothing, but lifelong cash flow uh, is something that any intelligent person could recognize the value of pretty quickly, right. really sit down and show them what's going on. So I'm just saying that whatever reputation I have with my listeners or my viewers, um, I want to attach it to this because I believe in what you're teaching. And I want people to go find Holy shift and I'll have links for it in the show notes and everything, but I believe in what you're doing too. I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited for however many people listen to this to go, Nathan Dean seems like a good guy. And from what I've heard and, and from what Chance just said, I want to go check it out. I want to go check out Holy Shit. And then they go click the button and they go, how do I feel about this? How do I feel about this? 
I'm going to do it. And then they click it and they do it and they bring it into their lives and they call you up on the phone and they say, Hey man, I watched this. I went through this. I'm interested. What can you, what can you help me do? And then they listen to you and go for it. So look, man, we've been going for a little bit over an hour and we've covered a lot of ground. I mean, we've talked about finances. We've talked about family. We've talked about, um, your brother's video game habits. And I'm sure he's going to be stoked to hear that. (laughs) But at the end of these things, and I kind of just did my jam. I said what I wanted to say about this. I want people, I want people to check you out so that they can bring a little hope into their lives so they can have a little faith in their ability to be financially free. But to ground this, to bring this home, to land this conversation. If you imagine that you're sitting across from the person who's listening to this right now, it's no longer me, it's it's Joe or Jill Schmo out there listening, and you're looking them in the eyes, what is the thing that you would want to tell them right now? What's the most important thing that you could deliver to another soul right now so that um, you know your message and your essence could make an impact in their lives? I'm sitting across from someone right now. I'm going to look them in the eyes. I'm going to say, this is way bigger than me. This is way bigger than you. My mission is to teach 1 million people how to do this. And if I can do that, we will fundamentally change this country. So do you want to be, do you want to be part of this collective movement? that is going to be taking place over your lifetime or not. Yeah, dude. (laughs) I love that. I love the ambition. I love the mission and the vision. It's something I believe full heartedly. And you got to have a mission that when you think about you accomplishing it, it makes you all kinds of nervous. If you don't feel that way, you're not, you're not imagining your true potential. You know, when destiny grabs you by the shoulder, it should be an electric shock that runs through your body when you feel that sensation. And as you were talking, you know, you're an amiable guy. You're a nice guy. But when you said that and you talked about your vision and the thing that you're committed to, Mr. Nice Guy kind of fell away and it's like, I'm serious about this. This is what I'm doing. And I love that, dude. I love the conviction. I love the vision. And I think that's a great great place to land this conversation so let me take the time now to thank you very much nate i appreciate it you're a good dude and i'm glad you came on man man thanks for having me i enjoyed it brother yeah me too why don't you uh why don't you remind people who you are where they can find you that kind of thing and like i said i'll leave links to um your twitter your holy shift program and anything else you want in the show notes all right well uh at chronicles nate is my handle on Twitter. Uh, that's the biggest social media presence that I have, uh, growing by the thousands every month. Um, so people are really connecting with my message, which is awesome. Um, I've you know, met some really amazing people in a very short period of time. Um, go check out my pin tweet video on my profile. Um, it'll, it'll start moving your head in the right direction. Awesome, man. Anything else you want to, Tell your thousands of adoring fans. (laughs) I love y'all and I appreciate the support. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll echo that sentiment. And on that note, Logos and Trivigal out.